for all that you have done for us, all that you're doing in us, all that you desire to do through us. We're so thankful for the blood that you shed for us, your spotless blood, that we might be redeemed unto God, that the power of sin and the death that proceeds from that has been broken. That in you, being engrafted in you, you giving your life for us, us giving up our life as it was and giving it unto you to be Lord. In you, being engrafted in you, there is life, there is peace, there is hope. There's an expectation of things to come, no longer hopelessness, death and bondage, but freedom to expect from this life all that you provided. So we praise you and we magnify you. We glorify you, Jesus, for you are good and your mercy endures forever and ever and ever. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence in this place, your anointing. I thank you that by your Spirit, you not only from the inside lead us and guide us and teach us, but you rest upon each one. That anointing just continues to saturate us. That not only are we strengthened for our day, but we are also empowered to go out and be a light, to bring forth your word boldly and with manifestations of your spirit, that we are readily equipped to do what you've called us to do. So we thank you for tonight. We thank you you give us utterance to speak and ears to hear. We truly might receive what you're saying. We approach your word with reverence as it is in truth the word of God and not the words of men. We truly might receive from you and know that that word is alive and it's powerful and it will penetrate right to our spirit man. That it might cause growth and it might cause us to produce 30 and 60 and 100 fold of that which is implanted into our life concerning that eternal life and that which you have called us to. And so we thank you. We do praise you and magnify you for everything that will be accomplished in every heart and in every life by your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good evening, church. How are you? Praise the Lord. It is a great evening, isn't it? Praise the Lord for all the mothers that we didn't uh, see you this morning. Happy Mother's Day. Hope you're having a great uh, Mother's Day. We appreciate you so much. And thank you. Why don't you greet three or four people around you? Uh, then you can be seated. Youth, you can be dismissed. Praise the Lord. I want to welcome you if you're joining us on live stream tonight. Uh, we're glad that you are with us. And that we believe God has great things for you. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God is so good. And, uh, you know, uh, this week we continue to have corporate prayer Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday at 8 o'clock. And uh, this week as we were praying and um, again to just hit a place of praising God. As we were doing that, I began to see, you know, it's, it's not so prevalent, uh, certainly now, um, you know, back, you know, I don't know, I'd have to say maybe in the 80s, um, it was so 80s back then, but, you know, you could drive up and down the valley when the weather got colder, and, uh, you know, that was back when people could, uh, had wood-burning stoves, and, uh, you know, just from almost, you know, a number of houses, all of a sudden, you know, that smoke from those wood-burning stoves would come up and it was cold, you know, the atmosphere was heavy. And all of a sudden, you could see it coming up out of places, but it was joining together from every house and it was creating a layer of smoke over the valley. And as we were praising, I saw that and the Spirit of God was saying, if in every home, 
You know, and then you go past places, you know, like the, the uh, drywall plant or the gypsum plant there in gypsum, and it's pouring out stuff like crazy. And the churches should be places where it's just billowing out, creating that. But in every home where praise goes up, it begins to come up and, and flood the atmosphere. And God inhabits or he is enthroned upon those praises. So the, that praise is not just for us, but it really rises up and begins to fill the valley. And it begins, you know, just as people are complaining and they're murmuring about culture, about society, about politics, about others, it fills the atmosphere and the atmosphere gets heavy with that desperation and that hopelessness. But if the church will begin to praise every day, all the time, it'll begin to fill the atmosphere. It'll begin to remove and clean out that desperation and that hopelessness and begin to fill once again the atmosphere with hope in the presence of God. He's not just coming and saying, I'll just show up uh, in the midst of all the, the, the complaining and murmuring and uh, doubt and confusion that goes on. But he says, I'll come and I'll be enthroned upon the praises that as people acknowledge me and they thank me for what I've done, I have power in the midst of that praise. And so really, you know, we want that in our own lives. We, we certainly want that. But really, as we understand a little bit about our praise going up and how it can fill the atmosphere and it can begin to give place for God to really move uh, in the lives of even others around us and, and up and down the, the valley that we have. And so I just encourage you to, to practice praising just as much as you can. Practice praising and pray, praying in the Holy Ghost, right? Paul said, I pray with my understanding and I pray in the Spirit also. He said, I sing with my understanding and I sing in the Spirit also. Why would we do that? Because there's things that we don't know what to pray. There's, there's ways that we don't yet know how to praise, but the Holy Spirit does. And if we open up to him, songs and spiritual songs begin to come out and saturate the atmosphere in praise. When we pray in other tongues, we begin to pray out things that our mind can't comprehend, but God is working by praying in the Spirit. So I just encourage you, you know, not to just think about everything that's bad and turn on the, the news when you go home or turn on your radio and listen to what's going on, but man, turn some things off or turn on some praise music. Whether you come or go, I know, it'll, you know your electric bill might go a little bit higher, but just leave some praise music on in your home, whether you're there or not. Leave it playing, because when, when you walk through the room and one of those songs that you know is coming on, it'll just get you singing along. And you just don't know what's going on when you're singing along. God's just getting in on some things as you sing along, because your voice and my voice need to, to come forth. You think, well, I'm just having a bad day, but all of a sudden you go through and the radio's playing some praise and you start to praise and all of a sudden God just starts to get involved in whatever you're having trouble with. And when he gets involved, it's turnaround time. Amen. It's turnaround time. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, I just want to encourage you with that. We saw that in prayer. Encourage you if you have time to come and pray. Uh, the staff's here praying. We have others that have been coming regularly and I believe that we are uh, making some ground in prayer. I believe it's affecting you and the church and God, what God has planned. And so we're still doing that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning um, uh, at eight o'clock right here in the sanctuary. Praise the Lord. If you weren't with us this morning or weren't prepared with your local church tithes and offerings, want to give you an opportunity to give. If you're giving by cash or debit or credit card, raise your hand. The ushers will be glad to give you an envelope. Uh, if you're watching online, you can go to the give button and, and follow the prompts there. If you're giving by text, the text number isn't up there, but maybe will be. Uh, many of you already know how to give by text. We appreciate your giving. We believe that this year is crowned with God's goodness and your paths, his paths drip with abundance. It's the best year that you have ever experienced. Praise the Lord. And God is blessing you to be a blessing. And uh, more and more, we're going to realize that we are the lights in the midst of darkness. When we start to understand that, our in the, you know, when the enemy tries to intimidate us, that will go away. Because when light and darkness come together, there is never a huge battle. Right? There's not a big fight. When light comes in, it's like, ah, oh, man, i got to fight with this darkness. When light comes in, darkness goes away. Right? And so the enemy's just trying to convince you, you know, when you go into places that are dark, he's kind of convincing us, you know, what Jesus said, don't do. Put your light under a bushel because you don't want to shock everybody in darkness. 
But he knows if you can put that under, well, then it still stays dark or gloomy. But if we come as the light, we begin to dispel and over, uh, overshadow or overtake the darkness. Amen. And that's what he's called us to do. Praise the Lord. We ready? Father, we thank you for every opportunity that we have to give. I declare and command the blessings of the word of God upon each and every one here, that you supply their every need according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can go ahead and pass those buckets. As the buckets go by, you can open with me to Hebrews, the sixth chapter. Hebrews, the sixth chapter. We're going to try to finish up some things um, Tonight and um, next week, we'll go back to Romans chapter 8 and uh, continue on the book of Romans on Sunday night. But we are trying to finish up our Sunday morning series and uh, some things that are going on. I believe that this is uh, an important time if we'll take those to heart. You know, um, somebody told me this morning, they said, you know, this every member in their place thing is really I'm getting it and it's changing my life. And they said, the area that I'm serving and I feel like I'm in my place and, and that involvement with uh, the people that I'm working with in that area is just so changing my life. And so, I mean, praise God. You know, when that revelation gets every member in their place and you're like, wow, this is a good thing. I'm in my place. And uh, God is blessing me. And then, uh, praise the Lord. You mind if I share what you told me this morning? All right. Praise the Lord. And so Justin here, he came out and said, how are you doing? He says, I'm doing really good. He said, when you started this message on foundations, I thought this is a little bit rough. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to have to deal with some things, this repentance and all that stuff. But he said, I've just been doing it. And he said, man, I'm just a new creation right now. Amen. Amen. We know he was born again, but getting that firm foundation. And so I love those testimonies and just believe in God with you that he's increasing all of us. And, uh, you know, it's not all finished yet. I mean, it's finished on the cross, but it's a work with us that God's doing. And so patience, perseverance, endurance all works into that. But this is so, I believe, very vital for us to move forward. As I said, uh, many people have foundation laid. Some have had cracks in their foundation, and so they repair. I was talking to somebody the other day, and he said, this is so appropriate. Uh, I had to have my house inspected, and now I have a company coming in, and they have to fix my foundation. (laughs) So literally, they're fixing my foundation while I'm hearing about my spiritual foundation. So, I mean, God's just working all over the place to to just reveal to people what he wants us to see as a church. And so here in uh, uh, chapter 5, we'll start there in verse 12. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need somebody to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have need of milk and not of solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. So he's just saying, you know what, uh, you know, and everybody's at a different level of growth, but he's talking to a particular church that's been pastored for some time. And he says, you all just keep coming to church and we're, we're, we're going over the, the first things over and over and again. And then you're going out and trying to live life and, and you're kind of holding this to yourself. And then you come back in and say, give me another word, give me another word, give me another word. And thank God for words. But at some point, you know, uh, it's not another word. We're putting to action what it is that we're hearing. And as we put into action what we're hearing, the Bible says that if we're not just a hearer, but we're a doer of the word, we're obedient to the word of God, God gets in on that. As we carry that through, we don't just try it once, but we are walking in obedience. We come on the promises of God. We begin to see how God is always faithful. Somebody say, God's always faithful. Come on, if he said it, he'll do it. If he promised it, he will perform it. He's always faithful. And so as we begin to operate in that, and by precept and example, by experiential knowledge of obeying the word of God, we can begin to help others in their walk with Christ, as they're moving through some things. And so he says, you ought to be doing this, but you're not. And so uh, you're unskilled in the word of righteousness. In other words, you know, we get to the place, if we're not a doer of the word, we don't know how to apply the word to situations of our life. And so even though we've heard it, even though we've gone to church all of our life, when the enemy attacks or we come on a situation, we're like, I don't even know what to do. But as we receive the word of God in our hearts, And we ask for wisdom, as as John said. We ask for wisdom. 
says God is ready to just pour out wisdom, give it liberally, and not upbraid it, not pull it back, but let it go, wisdom from above, if we ask in faith, not wavering. In other words, when we ask God, give me wisdom, when he gives it, then we do something with it. We don't go, you know, could you try a different form of wisdom? (laughs) What he's going to do, simply put, there is wisdom and understanding and knowledge. You know, the Bible talks about those Proverbs says, uh, get wisdom. It's the principal thing. With wisdom, get understanding. He said, by wisdom, a house is built. By understanding, it is established. And through knowledge, it's filled with all good and precious things. And so uh, knowledge is really accumulating. It's, it's what we said today in that place. We start to know what the word of God says. We know what the Bible says about us and who we are in Christ and what the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ accomplished for humanity and accomplished for us. We have knowledge. And then he says we allow the Holy Spirit to bring understanding. In other words, understanding simply means it's putting it together. Well, this is what the Word of God says, and so many people are like, well, that was 2,000 years ago. How can two, what's 2,000 years ago when people were walking around in sandals and long uh, robes, how can that apply to me right now in 2022? Well, because the Word is forever settled in heaven. The Word is eternal. It's not temporal. And so the Spirit of God is the one who leads and guides us into all of the truth of that. And so when it sounds like, well, what, what does this mean to me right now? The Holy Spirit helps us put it together. So it starts to work. And so now we have the knowledge of it. We know that it fits together in our life. But there are situations when we're like, what am I going to do? And God says, you take this word and you apply it in that way. And wisdom is that application of what you know and you understand. Right? And so sometimes God says, now take this word and apply it. And we're like, well, I don't think that that applies right here. And God says, if you knew my word and the power of it, you'd just obey me and apply that right here. Or this is how, what do I do right now? This is what you do right now. This is what I want you to say right now. This is how I want you to stretch forth my hand right now. This is where I want you to be praying. This is how I want you to approach that person right now. And it doesn't get spooky. We just begin to walk in that place of love and obedience and in the wisdom of God. And we begin to be those who really see by what? By reason of use, by reason of application, the word of righteousness. But where somebody's only a hearer and not a doer, it says they're still a babe and they're really just needing somebody to feed them milk. But he says solid food belongs to those who are of full age. They're maturing in these things of God. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Right? Your senses exercised. And so we get to that place that we were talking about today, that we add to our faith virtue, moral excellence. We know what's right and wrong. We're not pulled. We're not tossed to and fro by every temptation, by what other people are saying, what other people are doing. But our senses, there's just something we know and discern about what's right and wrong. And we don't give place to evil. He says, therefore, because this is uh, the situation you should be in, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles or the foundational principles, first principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection or maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance for dead works, from dead works and of faith towards God. Right? So he said, don't keep laying the same foundation. You got the foundation laid. You understand what repentance is, what it did for you. You were going your own way, uh, dictated by sin. You repented. You turned unto God. You're building on that. There will be times as you're building your life, you start going, this is the way I'm going to do it. God, thank you. I'm, I'm serving you. I'm going to do it this way. And all of a sudden you realize, wow, I'm doing it my way, not God's way. So God, I'm going to turn from my way and I'm going to come back to your way. And it helps us to continue to build strong. We don't go back to the very beginning and go, God, forgive me for the sin of Adam and all that stuff. We just say, forgive me for going off my direction. We come back. How do we do that so easily? We've already got the foundation laid of what that means to us, faith faith towards God. He goes on to say, you know, uh, these doctrines, he says, uh, um, the doctrine of baptism, laying on of hands of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. He said, these are very basic principles that are incredibly important to us as we build this Christian life. And so we're going to get into this eternal judgment. Uh, Praise the Lord. I noticed everybody came out tonight as we uh, uh, said we would do that. They're excited about eternal judgment. But uh, praise the Lord. It's so important because we've really, in the body of Christ, kind of tried to shy away from that 
And then we have gotten a little bit, uh, uh, I can't find the word, but maybe um, frivolous, surface. And we all of a sudden people think it's no big deal. Because we've acted like, well, there's no really no big deal to judgment, but eternal judgment's a big deal. Amen. And it's it's gonna happen. And we can't get around that. And so just real quick, you know, in the doctrine of, of the resurrection of the dead, they went into that. And so really there's three aspects to understand about that, and it will help us just as we move into this. Um, certainly Jesus raised from the dead. And then when we accepted that, we raised to a newness of life. But then it really goes into these three aspects of uh, uh, resurrection. The first one is when Jesus uh, raptures his church. When Jesus comes, the sound of the trumpet, Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about the sound of the trumpet comes, and the dead in Christ will not precede them. The dead in Christ will rise first and meet Jesus in the air, right? And so just for the sake of time, you can study that. There's a couple of places where it says the trumpet will sound. The dead in Christ will rise to meet Jesus in the air. And so the church will be raptured, right? After the church of rapture, uh, is raptured, there's a time of tribulation, well, the church is out and the enemy is moving in this time of tribulation. Great trouble comes upon the earth. Well, during that time, there will still be people who are born again. There are still people who will turn to God. They'll realize, man, people preached to me. I didn't believe it was going to happen, but man, they're all gone. And what they told me about is happening. And so uh, they turn and they um, see that take place. And so um, now, you know, then, then there begins to be this place at the end of the tribulation. So turn over to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. In verse 4, and it says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had, worship, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So he said, I saw those, and so those saved, uh, those who get saved during the tribulation, they'll be raised up to reign with him uh, in the millennial thousand-year reign. And so then there is that, that place where uh, the others will be raised. And we'll just start with that when we're talking about eternal judgment. Because there will be those who really, uh, they'll be raised, uh, but they have never made Jesus Christ the Lord of their life. They went through all life. They went through the tribulation, all the people, and never came to faith in Jesus Christ. So we, we go on to verse 11. And so this is what is referred to as uh, the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment. He said, then I saw a great, great white throne and him who sat on it, for whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave them up, the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So he said, there is this place where the dead, small and great, it does not matter what your status was on the earth. He said, but it's talking about those who had never uh, uh, accepted Jesus. They had never come to faith in Jesus. And they stand before the throne of God. And God is opening the books. You know, God's a record keeper. And he sees everything that they have done. And it comes to the end. And he looks in the book of life. And if their name is not written in the book of life, they are forever judged. 
and cast into the lake of fire to ever be separated from God. That's just the fact of the matter. So if we're not careful, this whole idea that has encompassed our society is, ooh, but it's the truth. And so the importance that it has for us, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never made that decision, come on, just understand that this is not harsh. This is not something to, to you know, just go, well, this, I don't even think this should take place. It's going to take place. And if your name is written in the book of life, then you get to receive a different judgment. But if your name is not written in the book of life, you will stand before God and he will look and you will be, I believe, you know, just in reading some things that when he says small and great, they're going to stand up and say, yeah, but I did this and yeah, but I did that. And others are going to say, and I did this and I did that and I did all these good works. And he's going to look and he say, yes, you did. But let's open the final book, the book of life. And you never received the life that I provided for you through Jesus Christ. You were living on your own merits, and they're all marked down in the book. But the book that matters is the book of life. So, so many people, we can't go back and ponder those who have died, those maybe we've been come in contact with, who've never received Jesus. That's into God's hands, and they will stand at the great white throne judgment. But we do have an opportunity and a responsibility to look out to those that we know that God puts us in their path that have not accepted Jesus Christ. And the reason why understanding the doctrine of eternal judgment is so important is that when you look at somebody who does not know Jesus Christ and you feel intimidated by them, you need to search down in your heart and say, it doesn't matter how I feel about this, and it doesn't matter really what they say to me, I need to give them the opportunity to know Jesus loves them and receive him. Otherwise, they will spend eternity in the lake of fire. We need to let the knowledge of that stir compassion in our hearts to those who are lost and those who are dying because they are lost and they're moving in a path of death. And some, not of their own devices, they're bound and directed and enslaved by sin. And we are the ones with the answer and the revelation of how they can get free from that sin and be joined to God and their name be written in the book of life. And Jesus made this statement in John the 10th chapter as he sent them out to preach the gospel and to heal the sick and cast out devils and they came back and just as we are many times we're so excited that man we cast out demons and we healed the sick and whoa and God this is so awesome the power that you've given us and Jesus looked at them and he said isn't that awesome but you shouldn't get as excited about that as you are your names are written in the book of life right? And so he placed that importance on the name being written in the book of life. And so for those who are lost, there'll be that great white throne judgment. And in the end, when their name is not written in the book of life, they'll be cast into the lake of fire and it's called the second death. In other words, they physically died without Jesus, but there'll be a death that then they'll live forever without him. They'll live in a place of eternal torment without God. That's not God's design. It's not God's will. It's what God declared when he said, if we sin, the wages of sin would be death, separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So when man sinned, when Adam disobeyed God, it had ramifications for all of eternity for mankind. And it was destined. That was, God could have said, I told Adam, he disobeyed me. That's it. To hell with y'all. But he didn't do that. He said, that was never my plan. Man disobeyed, but I'm going to send Jesus. And so that idea that the enemy perpetuates in people's minds that if God was so loving, how could he send people to hell? He's not sending anyone to hell. He's commissioned you and I to tell them God's desire is not to impute your sin to you. 
But he sent Jesus to forgive you of your sin so you could be reconciled to God and saved from eternal condemnation. Amen? And so that's a fact. That's the, the understanding of that eternal judgment that takes place. Now, we'll jump off of that because you all look a little depressed. Come on, and sometimes that's just what people preach, and then we're wondering what's going on. But the church, and for every believer, we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. We will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And so turn over to Romans chapter 14. Romans, the 14th chapter, and the 10th verse. Still an awesome thing. Just understand this, that, that, you know, as we see and we look at what the Scripture says, and there in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, if we go ahead and sin willfully after we understand the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, he said, there won't be another sacrifice. Jesus will not come and die again. He said, so just understand under the law of Moses, under two or three witnesses that went against the law of Moses, uh, there was that condemnation. People were stoned. He said, how much greater punishment do you think would be the person who trods underfoot the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Counts as common the blood of Jesus and frustrates the spirit of grace. He said, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an almighty God. So again, he warns us and says, listen, if you know that Jesus died for you, then, then, then understand this, that don't go back to sin. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's an awesome thing. God is a, an awesome God, and you don't want to fall into that hands of God. You want to be able to stand before that judgment seat of Christ. Right here in Hebrews chapter 6, right after he talks about um, the doctrine of eternal judgment, he said to understand that somebody who has tasted and seen of the goodness of God and salvation and the powers to come and the powers of heaven and has integrated himself with the life of the Holy Spirit and then denies that, willfully says, I'm going away from that. He said there isn't a place of repentance found for that person. They've consciously made a choice after knowing that and gone away. And it says that he, he crucifies to himself. If he came back, he would crucify to himself. One translation said he re-crucifies Christ. So it's very important to understand where we are in this place of accepting Christ and not let the enemy say, well, you know all that, just walk away from it. And when he says willfully, he's not just saying, you know, there's been times where I chose my own way instead of God's way in a, in a time of weakness. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about somebody who says, I've experienced this and I want to go a different way. I denounce Christ. But he said, for that person, you know, we may look at that, for that person, there is that place where they'll stand before God and fall into the hands of him. So whatever the judgment in, it's still a weighty thing. And even the white throne judgment of Jesus, sometimes we're, we get casual in life because, you know, message of grace and all that, which grace is powerful. Grace is wonderful. We're not supposed to be running around trying to get some acceptance from God in all this stuff. But when we receive the grace of God, when we receive the life of God, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, then he has ordained us in this new life to do good works, right? To do good works. So some people under grace say, we, we shouldn't do any works. No, we shouldn't do dead works. We shouldn't do works that get us nowhere uh, trying to get God to accept us. He's already accepted us. So you know, whenever you're doing something to be accepted by God, that by your works to be saved, it's a dead work because he's already accepted you. <laughs> you don't have to do all that. But now we know who we are. And we're not working towards a place of acceptance. We're working from a place of acceptance. And because we are accepted, the good works that we do are works that are in obedience to Christ. And so there's things for us to do. In Romans chapter 14, let's start in verse 9. It says, for to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 
Jump over to verse 12. It says, so then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. So for every believer, we are going to stand and give an account for ourselves to God. So some of you think you'll stand there, and I'll be standing next to you, so you can blame me for the way you acted. You can blame me or another Christian for why you don't go to church and fulfill the will of God, but you won't. You will stand directly before Jesus yourself. See, the enemy just tries to tempt us. Well, I don't go because these Christians offended me and they weren't very nice to me. Well, you won't stand there and tell Jesus, well, uh, they weren't very nice. And so I just didn't obey you because people weren't nice to me. Because as we'll look at this, I'm getting ahead of myself, but he says, we'll all stand there and we will appear before Jesus Christ and everything will be stripped away. That we will stand before him naked and open with whom, the one with whom we must give an account. All of our motives, all of our thinking about what we did and why we did it will be exposed. Ain't that fun? Come on. It is fun. It's going to be awesome. If we obey the word of God, it's going to be awesome. Come on, he tells us about that. He's talking about communion with people, and he's saying, listen, as we have this communion with God, why are you all getting all messed up in communion? He said, if we would go ahead and judge ourselves, we wouldn't be judged of anyone. When you receive the life of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, you didn't just receive the power of the Holy Spirit to see signs and wonders. You received the power of the Holy Spirit to begin to judge your own life that I get to judge my own life and not make excuses for my life, but actually judge them. And when I judge rightly, ask the Holy Spirit to help me in all that God has created me to be and who I am in Christ so that I can do that. And he tells us, he says, get the peace of God. And after you have all these circumstances and you pray and you get in fellowship with God and peace comes over your mind, he says, start to think on the right things because how you're thinking about things and the direction you think from makes all the difference in the world of what motivates you and we will stand before him and those motives will be revealed and so John says this in first John we referred to it this morning he said that when we embrace the love of God and we embrace the love of Christ for us and for others he said then we have boldness on the day of judgment Because as he is, so are we in this world. John was really good at getting us to the point of saying, I won't be afraid of standing in that place in front of the judgment seat of Christ. He said, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. That we have been called the children of God. We don't yet know what that will totally look like. But we do know because of that transformation of the new birth. When we see him, we will be like him. And if you have this hope, this expectation, then you purify yourself. In other words, you judge your own heart. I judge my own heart because I'm expecting to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And not make excuses, but know that my motives will be examined. My thoughts will be examined and what came from that my works will be examined come on that's a good it can be a good thing or it can be a negative thing but I believe you all are here tonight because you want to know I want to know about this because when I stand there I want it to be a good thing I want to have boldness on the day of judgment so I'm ready let's look at this stuff because I've already looked at it Holy Spirit's helped me look at it, so I'm ready. I'm ready to view it just as it is. Instead of coming in and going, holy cow, this is, this is actually happening. I know people said it. I know pastor talked about it, but I didn't think this would ever happen. I thought I would just stroll right in and by the blood of Jesus say, come on in. Who cares? Who cares how you lived? We don't care. I'm actually standing here. You actually cared what I did with the life you gave me. 
Come on, think about it. Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood to give you a new life. To live a life for God, free from sin. And yet we get an attitude that comes in like he doesn't care. But he cares. And we're going to give an account for it. And that accounting should be good. But if we ignore it and we just say, well, it doesn't matter to us, it matters to him. Come on, it matters to him. Hallelujah. So turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All right, I'm going to have to get moving really fast now. Romans chapter 5 and verse 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You're right. All right. He's just talking about living in this earthly tent, not living in this earthly tent. There's so much here we could go into. He says, but for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. He said, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we'll start to account for what we've done in this body, whether good or bad. So now we get to this point of like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And so what we do understand from this, and some people have said, you're going to stand before Jesus, and he's going to run off a reel, and every sin that you've ever committed in your life, he's going to go over that. Well, now that'll be impossible for the believer, really, because he said, if you confess your sin, I forgive you, and I cast it as far as the east is from the west to remember it no more. He didn't say, I won't remember it until the judgment seat of Christ. He said, I won't remember it anymore. So that's why we always want to judge our own heart, confess our own sin, have him wash us from all unrighteousness so that we stand before him, not replaying sin that we've not confessed, but just looking at because we've been made righteous, what are we doing with what we have? When he talks about good or bad, we might have done some good things, but we, again, our motivation and the things, why we did what we did, what we were thinking about, and how, whether it was for selfish motives that we would get the benefit or whether we were doing it for people, whether we were doing it to be noticed or for that Christ would be noticed. What is it that we're doing? Why are we, we are living in these good things? And there is a motivation to that. There are rewards that he is going to hand out at this place of the judgment seat of Christ. Paul clearly tells us in Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And so if there's no condemnation there, it's not a place of condemnation, but a place of accountability, right? It's a place of uh, really examination or accountability and reward. Accountability and commendation. It's that place. And so when it talks about this judgment seat of Christ, it's really referring to, uh, um, and I'm not a Greek scholar, I've just read after people, it's referring to the Bema seat. And that Bema seat wasn't really this place of eternal judgment. The Bema seat was built up and it was a throne, but uh, 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 even, I'm trying to think, uh, Herod had one built in Caesarea Philippi, and it was a throne-like place where he could observe the games, right? So when he observed the games, they would look from that seat. The judges would look from that seat at the races and all that stuff. We still have kind of a, a, a thought of that in our Olympics nowadays is that the runners are running, and, and we're running our race before God, and there's observation going on. And so when we come to this Bema seat, it's not a place of condemnation. The Olympic athletes, the one who lose, you know, they don't, they, they don't take them down and flog them and whip them and, you know, cast them out. No, they come in. But there's different levels of how people have done their role and they're judged and they stand at that place of the Bema seat and receive their medals or their commendations in that place. And so that's what Paul was referring to. We see Paul refer to those things back and forth. He talks about running our race. He talks about as we strive 
right? A natural athlete trains and works out and, and gets himself in shape for a natural prize. But we train our spirits. We work ourselves out, exercise godliness for a spiritual prize. Paul said, I know that I'm not there yet, but I am continuing to move and to press towards the prize. So he's saying, I will stand before Jesus, and there's that place where I will receive my crown. He said, I've run my race. I've finished my course. And we'll get to this in a moment. He said, and I can't wait to receive the crown that he will give me. Not the condemnation that I'll get but the crown that I will receive. Now, this is one who said, listen, I've been the chiefest among sinners. Yet he didn't say, I'm going to stand there and have my sin rehearsed to me. He said, I was the chiefest of sinners, but I'm going to stand for the work that I've done in obedience to Christ and receive the commendation. And so the judgment seat of Christ, it says there's good things and there's bad things. There's good motives and there's bad motives, but we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to begin to look at those things and see how they play out in our lives. And so, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We were there this morning. But how we build our life is so important to this particular place that we're talking about um, concerning this judgment seat of Christ. Paul says this, again, we read this this morning, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it, right? So as we have that foundation and we're building our life, it's something to pay attention to. How am I building my life with Christ, How am I going about that? Am I going about that with sincerity? Am I going about that in a casual manner? Am I really being diligent about what Christ has done and how I'm building that into my life? Am I really looking at the the moral standard that I've set for my life? Am I looking for how I'm looking into the Word of God to get that instruction and direction, those things we talked about this morning? But he says, listen, you need to pay attention how you're building Some people just get saved and and say, I make Jesus the Lord of my life, but they never go farther. They never do anything. So Jesus isn't really acting as Lord. They've gone to the level that they know, but at the same time, the life that he's given to them, if they didn't find out what that life was, who they were in Christ, they're still going to be accountable for not even giving any diligence to know or to participate in that new life that he's been given to them. So verse 11, it says, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's works will become clear. So you might be able to paint that straw and make it look like, you know, brick, but it's still straw, (laughs) right? You might have put it up and said, well, uh, we can paint this and make it look like brick, but it's still straw. He said, each one will become clear. The day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work burn, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved yet so as by fire. So right here he's saying at this judgment seat of Christ, what we've built will be examined. If what you have built is wood, is made out of combustible material, (laughs) things that don't last, he said, you're not going to be condemned. He just said, man, thank God, you'll still be saved as it were by fire. Well, so then what are we doing here? Why? If it doesn't matter, I'm still going to make it to heaven because we are going to reign with him. There is going to be places and rewards and things that we do in reigning with him in heaven. 
We are not just trying to get through this life and have people like us or do whatever. We are living in eternity. We are accomplishing things that are going to carry us over so that we rule and reign with him, that we have positional places that Jesus has given us to really step into the fullness of what eternity has for us. So he doesn't want us to be short-sighted and go, well, I just can't get over this sin. No, he wants us to see the big picture. I'm not just doing this for now. When I step out of this body, I'm going to still remain in eternal life. When I got born again, I entered into eternal life. I didn't just get something that's going to hold me till I get to heaven. I entered into eternity. And when this body sheds away, my condition of eternity is going to carry on. The condition of my soul and my spirit will come on. And if my soul doesn't know anything about God. I'm going to step into eternity with him, not knowing anything about it. So instead of ruling and reigning, I might be going back to faith 101. Does that make sense? Come on, I notice some people it won't. It's just like, I don't know. I'm just going to be glad to go to heaven. Well, there's going to be a whole other system set up that God is encouraging us right now Not to feel down or out or, oh, now comparison. No, to know that he's done something great for us, and we're not just living to get by. And in eternity, we're not just going to sit there and go, wow, we're going to praise him forever and ever, but we're not just going to sit there and praise him. We're going to be busy about eternity. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to rule and reign, and we're going to live how God intended from the beginning because death and hell and the devil are all going to be in the lake of fire, and we're going to begin to live in the eternal realm and life that God intended from the very beginning. So we kind of get this temporal idea like, man, if I can just get by until I die, it's like, no, you're going to step over. The things that you've done in this body are going to account for something in eternity or not account for much in eternity. (laughs) It's just what he's saying. It's not something to be afraid of. It's something to look forward to. I'm going to get on to it, right? Not to earn his favor, but I'm going to get on to it because he's working with me and he's got some things for me to do and he's got some people for me to see and he's got some salvations that need to be had and some healings that need to be done so that Jesus can be recognized and people can be born again and we're building something for eternity. And how do we know what kind of reward we're going to get if what we do actually remains? Right? There's different times we hear about legacy. We hear about long term, but if what we do just passes with us or it's temporary, then when it's tested by fire, it won't remain. But what remains? You know, when we think about New Creation Church, when I think about it, I'm so grateful that, you know what, Pastor Craig put on the inside of us, it remained. We, we went on, that we're looking for people to take this on. I don't want to, you know, when I die and go to heaven, I don't want, well, New Creation Church just folded. Man, that's not it. It shouldn't be built on a personality. It's built on the kingdom of God, and we want it to go. I want to stand before him and have him say, man, that went on, and that reached until Jesus came back. It reached generations. Lives were changed. The power of the Holy Spirit was present because something was established that remains. Come on, what will you share with people is not about you becoming famous and having a word. Does that word actually penetrate to their heart, do something to change their life? When you go to help somebody, is it somebody that's going to receive the love of God and it's going to help them and, and go on with them, or is it just for a moment of time? We're not doing it just to look good in a moment of time, but to have an influence on people for all of eternity to move their life towards God and godliness, that they might live forever with him. So we're not looking at just us and how we do it today, but eternity, because we will stand before that place and give an account. So Jesus in his gospels is always, uh, in different gospels, referring to this. And I think sometimes we miss it. Turn over to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. I'll close with this. 
Hopefully I've done it adequate. It's a pretty big subject to cover in one service. But I want you to, get, to be looking at it. I want to encourage you, but I want you to be thinking of eternal judgment. It's a foundational doctrine. We should live a little bit different knowing that there is going to be a judgment. We should live a little different knowing that those around us who don't know Jesus will stand before the white throne judgment. And we want them to not have to stand there. We want them to stand with us before the judgment seat of Christ. But standing before the judgment seat of Christ is still an awesome thing. It's just awesome. So Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. Such a familiar portion of scripture. You can move through different gospels. Jesus says it in different ways, in different parables. But he says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each one according to his own ability. And immediately he went on his journey. Then he who had received five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he would receive two, gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug it in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He said, every one of them had to come before him, the master, and settle accounts. What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? Praise the Lord. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, You delivered to me five talents, and I have gained five more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. Now I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. What is he saying? He's actually speaking of eternity, the kingdom of heaven. He said, I've given you things according to the giftings that are in your life, according to what I've placed there. I've given them to you. And we'll give an accounting for those things. When he's given us giftings and we've reproduced those, he said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You were faithful with that here. Now I'm going to give you even much more importance in the kingdom because of your faithfulness. Of course, you know the story. Then two did two, and he said, come on, enter in. And the one who had rejected what his master had given him, he didn't just not do anything. He buried it as if he had never, done it. He had, never had it. And he said, you were wicked and lazy. You didn't do anything with it, right? And so he says, listen, there are things to be done. There are rewards to be had. And so I'm just going to read this to you. This is from uh, Rick Renner's book. So there's five crowns. It says that you know, we'll receive those rewards when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It says there's five crowns that are, are mentioned in the scripture. And so we'll just look at these. He says there's the crown of incorruption. The crown of incorruption. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 25. It says, and every man that striveth for the, ma- for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a, in the natural, a corruptible crown, but we incorruptible. We incorruptible. The Apostle Paul describes it as a crown that will be given to believers who have practiced self-discipline in life and run a successful race of faith. He said, if you've trained yourself in the faith, and you've disciplined yourself, that you will receive a crown of incorruption. The second kind of crown is the crown of rejoicing. This is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. People, uh, theologians have called this the soul winner's crown. For those who are very active in winning souls, going to receive a crown of rejoicing, Right, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30 says, He that winneth souls is wise. 
And this is what 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19 says. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at, at his coming? Soul winner's crown. Number three, the crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, Paul said this, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Not to me only, but to all those, uh, all of them also that love his appearing. This is giving, given, this crown is given to those who are longing for Jesus' appearance and have lived a holy life in anticipation of his coming. Come on, John says, if we have this hope in us, we purify ourselves. And he says, when we live this life in that anticipation, there is that crown of righteousness. In other words, of living in the righteousness of God in anticipation of his coming. The fourth crown is the crown of glory. The crown of glory. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. People and theologians have called this the pastor's crown. Because it is a crown that will be given to pastors who faithfully fed and led their flocks. 1 Peter 5, 4 says this, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. Glory to God. The fifth crown is the crown of life. This is a crown referred to in James chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 2. It is often referred to as the martyr's crown. Because this crown will be given to those who remain faithful even as they suffered in order to do what God had called them to do. And who committed themselves to finishing their race regardless of the difficulty they encountered in life. James chapter 1 verse 12. Blessed is a man who endures temptation for when he is tried he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. In Revelation chapter 2 verse 10 says... Uh, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall uh, cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, that you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. Man, I mean, you just think about that. He covers so many things that you can be doing. And he says there's a place of faithfulness, there's a place of righteousness, there's a, pe- a place of overseeing others, there's a place of serving God no matter what the cost. And those are the things that we do, and we do those with a motive of loving God, not trying to get his love, but knowing that he loved us and we love him. And our thoughts are stayed upon what he's done for us and how he's freed us from sin so that we can do these good things and serve him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, knowing that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ someday. And our goal is to have looked at our own hearts, to examine throughout our life, God, I'm sorry. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing my motives in that and helping me to change. I was talking to somebody this morning out there and just about their situation again. They were giving a little testimony of where they've been and and how some of the messages that they've heard have helped them. And they said, you know, I've just run into situations and I haven't responded very well. And this is helping me see some things. And I said, well, join the club. (laughs) I said, man, there's so many situations I didn't respond well. But I've been asking God for help, and I'm responding better and better. But it took me, instead of saying, the reason I responded that way is because of the way you acted. If you wouldn't have acted that way, I wouldn't have responded that way. And so we get into that. If you wouldn't have, then I wouldn't have. And if you wouldn't have, then I wouldn't have. And you wouldn't have. And that's not rightly judging yourself. And how are we ever going to change if we don't rightly judge ourselves? But he says, if we rightly judge ourselves. And we say, no matter how you acted, my response wasn't the response that I should have had as a son of God, as a leader, somebody who's leading others. I recognize that now. God, help me to see how I responded wrongly, what I need to do to change. And as you direct me, I'm going to make those changes. Forgive me. When that starts to happen, whatever area God's working with you on, 
Now you start to have a confidence and a boldness. Thank you, Lord. We're working that out. When I stand before you, that's going to be totally worked out. And because we're working that out, our response is going to have an impact on people. Amen? Praise the Lord. So, doctrine of eternal judgment. We want to build on that, which means what? We're going to live our life purely before God to do good things in the name of Jesus that lives would be affected. Knowing what we know on that foundation, we're going to look at the lost and allow God to give us compassion and a heart of love, knowing that if they never hear about Jesus and they never make him Lord of their life, their name won't be written in that book of life. I might be the only person standing before, between them and a lake of fire. God, help me to know it and to see it, to be bold. 2 Corinthians 5 says to plead with them, be reconciled to God. That's how important it is. You see, if we just kind of go, uh, judgment isn't that big a deal. Doesn't matter if we share with them, they're on their own. When we see it's important, we don't want anybody. I don't care how bad somebody is, you, don't not, you do not want them to be eternally separated from God in that lake of fire. It wasn't what God intended for man. Amen? When we look and we say, man, I get to stand before the judgment seat of Christ boldly to hear him say, well done. Thou good and faithful servant. What joy will fill our hearts. Amen. Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, help us. Encourage us. Reveal to us the depth of meaning of this doctrine of eternal judgment. That we truly would look into our hearts and allow you to examine our hearts, our motives, our thoughts our actions. So as we do that, we allow you to work with us. We lay that before you even now. Put those things on the mercy seat under the blood of Jesus that they're washed and they're cleansed. We continue that. We know that we get to stand before you. Grant unto your servants a boldness to speak your word, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who don't know you. That not one person we come in contact with will have to stand at that white throne judgment and their name not be found in the book of life, but because we have been bold to declare and plant that seed, you're able to do something with that gospel to bring them unto salvation. That we might see them and, and cooperate and move with them in eternity and in heaven. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't you stand up? Say this as we go. What God did in Christ Jesus far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great week.